Section 17 of Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. The Boyhood of Fion, Chapter 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fano Jahangiri. Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. One day his guardians were agitated. They held confabulations at which Fion was not permitted to assist. A man who passed by in the morning had spoken to them. They fed the man, and during his feeding, Fion had been shooed from the door as if he were a chicken. When the stranger took his road, the women went with him a short distance. As they passed, the man lifted a hand and bent a knee to Fion. My soul to you, young master, he said, and as he said it, Fion knew that he could have the man's soul, or his boots, or his feet, or anything that belonged to him. When the women returned, they were mysterious and whispery. They chased Fionn into the house, and when they got him in, they chased him out again. They chased each other around the house for another whisper. They calculated things by the shape of clouds, by lengths of shadows, by the flight of bells, by two flies racing on a flat stone, by throwing bones over their left shoulders, and by every kind of trick and game and chance that you could put a mind to. They told Fionn he must sleep in a tree that night, and they put him under bonds not to sing or whistle or cough or sneeze until the morning. Fionn did sneeze. He never sneezed so much in his life. He sat up in his tree and nearly sneezed himself out of it. Flies got up his nose two at a time, one up each nose, and his head nearly fell off the way he sneezed. You are doing that on purpose, said a savage whisper from the foot of the tree. But Fionn was not doing it on purpose. He tucked himself into a fork the way he had been taught, and he passed the crawliest, tickliest night he had ever known. After a while he did not want to sneeze, he wanted to scream, and in particular he wanted to come down from the tree. But he did not scream, nor did he leave the tree. His word was passed, and he stayed in his tree as silent as a mouse and watchful, until he fell out of it. In the morning a band of traveling poets were passing, and the women handed Fionn over to them. This time they could not prevent him overhearing. The sons of Murna, they said, and Fionn's heart might have swelled with rage, but that it was already swollen with adventure, and also the expected was happening. Behind every hour of their day and every moment of their lives lay the sons of Murna, Fionn had run after them as deer. He jumped after them as hares. He dived after them as fish. They lived in the house with him. They sat at the table and ate his meat. One dreamt of them, and they were expected in the morning as the sun is. They knew only too well that the son of a whale was living, and they knew that their own sons would know no ease while that son lived. For they believed in those days that like breeds like, and that the son of Uel would be Uel with additions. His guardians knew that their hiding place must at last be discovered, and that when it was found, the sons of Mona would come. They had no doubt of that, and every action of their lives was based on their certainty. For no secret can remain secret. Some broken soldier tramping home to his people will find it out. A herd seeking is a strayed cattle or a band of traveling musicians will get the wind of it. How many people will move through even the remotest wood in the air? The crows will tell a secret if no one else does. And under a bush, behind a clump of bracken, what eyes may there not be?
But if your secret is legged like a young goat, if it is tongued like a wolf, one can hide a baby, but you cannot hide a boy. He will rove unless you tie him to a post, and he will whistle then. The sons of Mona came, but there were only two grim women living in a lonely hut to greet them. We may be sure they were well greeted. One can imagine Gold's Mary stare, taking in all that could be seen. Cornan's grim eye raking the woman's faces, while his tongue raked them again. The rough MacMorna, shouldering here and there in the house and about it, with maybe a hatchet in his hand, and Arthur cursing further afield and vowing that if the cup was there, he would find them. End of chapter 5 Recording by Fano Jahangiri